Well, shalom everyone. This is Dr. Dina Dye, and I'm with Returning to Eden, and I have my wonderful co-host with me, Jeff Morton. Are you there, Jeff? Good evening, everybody. Yes, Dina, how are you tonight? I'm doing great. Uh, some of you, well, most of you may know, but some of you may not, so I have to brag for a few minutes <laughs> on the birth of my new grandson. Uh, my daughter named him Hezekiah. I'm like, what? <laughs> so, <laughs> Okay. And I don't know if she listened to my Hezekiah series. I'm pretty sure she did. But Hezekiah Michael Saul, I thought, well, there's a mouthful of this kid. <laughs> this you kid's going to have to. kidding when you sent me that name. No, I'm not like, kidding. I thought you were sending me three different names that they were considering. No, that's his name. He's got three oh. names. So they'll, they'll call him Kai for short, which uh, which will be good. But, you know, that's that's a mighty powerful name. and. It kind of makes my heart proud considering, you know, he's he's the guy who's revolutionized the temple when it had been totally yes. contaminated by his father and previous kings. And he went in there and he was the greatest temple reformer of all. So that's kind of cool. Anyways, he was born on the 30th, 7 pounds, 1 ounce, 19 and a half inches, and cute as a button. He is just a doll and sweet disposition. We're excited. He, he's, he's a good-looking boy. I because, folks, I believe all babies, when they come out, look like lizards. Uh, and, th and this little boy didn't. My grandson, when he was born, of course, he was premature, but he looked like Don Knotts to me. <laughs> I know. They usually look like old men. But I, I, one of the reasons we think is uh, you probably should sit down, some of you ladies, but my daughter delivered in eight minutes. So <laughs> who on earth does that? <laughs> Anyways... I think the baby kind of just slid through the canal and came out just looking really good. Yeah, so, well, yeah. So I mean, that sort of segues into what we're talking about because everything is this idea of birth and bringing forth new life and and the building project that goes around it. Uh, tonight we want to talk about. Uh, I want to get into the building aspect of it. We are still on our topic of image bearers, and we want to talk about governance as well. I think one of the problems that we have, so we, when we're talking about governing an empire, uh, we get weird because we think, you know, it's political, it's this, you know, social stuff, and it really has nothing to do with the kingdom. But I, hopefully after this show, you're going to see it has everything to do with the kingdom. We can't dismiss the governing bodies on this earth. I mean, Paul talks about that. We're supposed to mm -hmm. pray for them. So they're not going away. <laughs> And so when the kingdom comes and time to govern comes, it's going to look somewhat like what we've had, only it will be, you know, perfected. So in order to set the stage, I wanted to just go back to the beginning once again, which apparently we can't seem to leave the beginning, but that's okay. And we're in Genesis chapter 1, and I've talked quite a bit about the creation, and really, if you read a number of scholars, they describe the creation in architectural terms. So... God is laying out the beams and he's building his tent and erecting various sort of functional uh, pieces of furniture, etc. So this is, it's very architectural in, in nature. So he is building a house, which is the cosmos. Now, let's put him in context because he is the master builder, the master craftsman. And, of course, we see when a tabernacle is being built, that blueprint is given to Moses and the, the tabernacle is patterned exactly after Genesis 1, the, the pattern of creation. And then he pours, he takes a couple of guys. We've got Bezalel and we have uh, Aholiab. Now, Bezalel means in the image of. 
So this guy is in the image. He's an image bearer and a master craftsman who is going to take the blueprints of creation and he is going to build the tabernacle with what he's got. So this is all building construction type language. So we begin with the cosmos and uh, temple cosmos pattern and then we take it down to Genesis 128 in which where man is created he is created in the image of the cosmos he is a miniature cosmos in fact Adam can also mean I resemble so again in the image of he a man is in the image of the cosmos like who can even grasp that so now when we see all the various temples being built, the tabernacle in the wilderness, the first temple under King Solomon, and even into the second temple, all of these temples are patterned, are built, constructed in the image of the all of creation. So the image bearer is the building <laughs> of creation. So we have two things going on here. Adam is formed, and I talk about this in my new book, that he's formed and the breath of life blown, blown into him has more to do with his functional purpose and we've talked quite a bit about him being a priest but then when we drop down and we see that uh, uh, we know Adam is made in the image of God male and female he created them and then Hava is removed from his side and that Hebrew word cell she is removed or taken out from his image and then the, the Hebrew word there that's very significant is that you know however that looked I don't know but now the side, the image has to be built up. And the Hebrew word there is bana. So the house is being built. And that house, again, has to be male and female. And so we know that Adam has been given the, the kingship to govern. So now we're moving into a, a different realm when he's in the garden. And he is now going to govern. And so we want to be, we want to talk a lot about the, this governing concept because I think Jeff really hit on it last week and uh, he's going to share a little bit here if I ever stop talking. I just want to mention one other thing. In the Bible, especially when we're talking about the tabernacle, we looked at the various artisans and the craftsmen and the carpenters and the, the various smiths that were required to build the house. And this is uh, this was from a, a midrash that um, Giza Vermes found in, I can't remember what page it's on, but Jesus the Jew is the book. And he has suggested that the Hebrew word for carpenter is harash, and it also means to silence. So the idea was that these artisans and craftsmen were actually Torah scholars who silenced others by their brilliance. And so when we look back now to creation, the architecture, the building, God is the master craftsman, we could say he was the master carpenter. So it's no small thing that Yeshua is the son of a carpenter. Now, he could well have been in the real world, in the natural world, the son of a carpenter. I don't know. But the greater message here is that he is the son of the carpenter who's going to build a new house in the same way that the creation and the tabernacle were constructed. Okay. Well, you know, having said that, I wanna, I'm going to zero in on something that we have to keep in mind. Because... When Dina mentioned the breath of life, and we talked about this in an earlier show, we have to kind of look at the at, at the passages from the lens that Moses is writing them. And in his world, the breath of life would have been a pharaoh, for example, breathing into someone's face in order to elevate them to a position of authority. In right. ancient Egyptian culture, 
and you you have you, like Rico always says, folks, you have to go study yourselves. But that's how the breath of life. When Moses used that terminology, he's basically identifying with the culture of his day. Can I interject? We, yeah, go ahead, Dina. Well, just think that likely happened to him because exactly. he was second in command. So was Joseph, and the breath of life from Pharaoh was an anointing. It was a raising up and a coronation in a way. So and when so, he's writing, yeah, he knows when he's this. writing. This isn't something that he is explaining to his audience. They understood this. For us, we have to disseminate the information for, you know, 3,800 years down the road, and we have to do it from an English, uh, an English uh, kind of identification to it all. And I'll tell you, folks, really, the English almost puts us at a disadvantage when you really want to dig into the ancient world, because the ancient world didn't exist with the cultural integrity and the English and all the things that we understand today. So we can't superimpose our cultural understanding of the Bible. We're going to say this over and over and over again on Moses. We have to go back and see. Moses is writing to an audience that he doesn't have to explain a lot of this to. Yeah. So when he's talking about uh, in Genesis 1.28, he's relaying information because neither he or his audience were in the garden. They were not in the temple construct that Adam was in. So Moses is talking about something that's been revealed to him. And he says they are to go out and subdue the earth. And I looked up those words tonight. Uh, they mean a variety of things. There's several words in the English that describe subdue, and they have different meanings. But in Genesis 1.28, it means that he has to literally take control over or uh, what do we say, Dina? He well, has to by force. By force. So, yeah. what what Adam is doing, being elevated, given a position, the breath of life breathed into him to be the high priest or the king. He now has to go take the land outside of the garden by force. He has to subdue it. But we, if you look at Psalms forty-seven, three. The word is debar, which means bended knee or to humiliate in that context. Of course, we're talking about a song now. Isaiah says uh, in Isaiah 45.1, the word is radar, and it means to rent into pieces, the word subdue. So we have to kind of look at that word in the context with which the writer's using it, because it doesn't mean the same thing in every one of those verses. So now we know in the garden story that Adam has been given a task to take by force in order to bring order to chaos. And the, so and that it makes sense because if, if you consider the place where he needs to do that and rule is the field. And we've, we've been talking a lot about how the field is the world, that's where the beasts live. That was the home of the serpent. And so for him to go out in the field and subdue that, that environment meant, you know, dealing with the serpent. Clearly he didn't. And so the serpent gained access into the into the space. Well he did something more. If we I'm always saying this folks, if we take it out of the abstract and kind of put it into real life situation, Adam lost the battle. He lost the battle and the serpent, the beast, the field, took over the kingdom. Yep. That's why we're all living in chaos and a mess. And, and really, that's that's so 
germane to the whole identification of what we're talking about. Adam lost, and therefore he was taken out of the position he was placed into, similar to Saul. Mm -hmm. And the enemy was given domain over the earth. That's Amen. why we see him confront Messiah in the wilderness, because he had the authority in his mind to do it for these now, what, almost 3,800 years? Yeah, and I've been, I mean, I, you know, I spent a whole day today trying to finish my chapter 3, and I was writing about this very thing, like the whole chapter is about that. Yes. And so what's interesting to me and what people don't realize is th here, it, this is the setup. And so the serpent comes to represent those kings in the field who oppress and, and destroy and persecute and they're tyrants, etc. Unfortunately, what we've done is, we, so when we approach the book of Revelation, for example, we are um, we look at it from our modern eyes. We do not follow the thread of who the serpent represents. And the serpent represented those kings of the nations, the rulers of the nations who oppressed Israel and whose sole goal was to take God's throne. So now we give them, you know, new names and we make them be symbols of things they aren't, or, you know, the serpent, the serpent is, I mean, people write books about this stuff, and it's, it simply represents those types of kings through all of human history. So now, it's I'm, set up in the garden. Well, and I'm going to qualify your statement because, see, folks, we look at the Bible, Dean and I do, I don't know about the rest of you, but <laughs> <laughs> that's why we're doing this show. Right. <laughs> and I don't mean that to be offensive. We look at the Bible as though it's communicating something other than Jack and Joe went up the hill. We have to kind of read in between the lines. We need to see what's going on. And so every word that Dina just said, we see Joshua actually did. Right. He went into the field, and he took out five kings, and he cleared the land in order for the temple to be built in future generations through King David, who received, again, the architectural drawing and that Solomon was to build the, the uh, temple. But we see that Joshua cleared the land of all of these kings, or at least five of these kings, who were resisting the instruction of the king. That's, you know, really, that's really what we're talking about. Yeah, And it is the people of God. We're the only thing, if you will, standing in between the kingdoms of this world and the throne, you know, because that's what they're after. The kings of this world are after God's throne, and they are going to do whatever they can to, to usurp that throne and put themselves on it. So this it doesn't is, help when we're doing that. <laughs> well, but, but again, let's go ahead and I like that word juxtapose. So I'm going to juxtapose what Dina just said with what we're seeing in our generation. Remember, the template is still here. Everything that God set up is still going on, but we see the kings of the earth trying to take the land of Israel. Right. We, I mean, it's the same story. Because they it's, want the throne. That's ex They want the throne that Almighty God established for mankind to, to literally have him rule and reign over us, not in the way of oppression and deception and murder and death, but with righteousness and eternal life and all of those things. They want the throne so they can continue to bring death and destruction. But the Father says, that's not who I am. I'm just looking for a group of you 
to stand and fight this battle that we're all in because they take my place by force. Amen. And this is why everything... I think that's Matthew. Yeah, I can't okay, remember where it is. Go ahead. Somebody, somebody will find it. Uh, that is why Yeshua came when he did because all of the force of anti-God forces in the first century converged at the temple. The Romans had control over it. They controlled when the high priest got the garments or not. They, you know, Herod basically needed permission from Rome to do just about anything. So, and we've got the temple rulership. Uh, these are a bunch of bad dudes, you know, running the show at the time. So all of this is converging in this place at the Temple Mount. And that is isn't the that, place that where he defeats the enemies of this world on a tree, the connecting point between heaven and earth, and he and er, every enemy is kind of, it's all kind of consummated at that point in human history. And by his resurrection defeats the entire thing. And if we look at this whole situation as being something outside of time, we're, we're talking, it's not relative to God that it's 2,000 years right. down the road. It right. doesn't mean anything. To him, the, the, the temple's being cleared, and all of the things that mankind has done are, is being vanquished. But we're just not on God's timetable. If we were, we wouldn't have any problem right now. The problem is we're in the field. And right. we, we're being ruled by people who want to make sure we don't ever know this. Yeah. yeah. I call it religion. Yeah, and that's, I mean. <laughs> I do. It Righteousness is. is what the king is doing. Religion is what the kingdoms are doing. Yeah. I really believe that. That's my own euphemism for all of that, but that's what I believe. Go ahead, well, Dina. And, well, and, that, and that's been our goal, really, with the show, is to try to show people we've got to get out of that religious mindset. And, and. You know, we create doctrines and theologies, and all it does is separate instead of... And divide. That's so the, true. The temple was supposed to be the place of unity. Now, when Yeshua died, or, you know, we see in John he, what he said, you know, destroy this temple, looking at the physical building, but in three days I'll re rebuild the temple, and he was speaking of his body. And so now we see... All the enemies have been destroyed. It, now, it's not like they're not operating anymore, but something happened to, to push back that the enemy at that time. We still have to deal with this stuff. But his, the temple was rebuilt, if you will, in his body, and every, it, was a, it was a complete game changer at that point, like ground zero in all of human history. It's just we don't really see it like that. Well, you know, something just occurred to me. You, you said something, and it just struck me, because <clears throat> we know that the kingdom of Israel is going to happen again. We know that the the city of Jerusalem is going to be reestablished, and we know that all the edicts, the ordinances, the commandments, the statutes are all going to come from. Isaiah is very clear about that. The Torah will go out from. But one thing that did change, Dina, is... Since the, the enemies of the throne know that they're defeated, mm -hmm. they're trying to kill life, yep. abortion, destroy marriage, destroy the natural relationships between yes. men. It's like, well, if we're, if we're going to lose all of this at the end, we let's, might destroy, as well go for it. Yeah. let's destroy Everything. the whole concept of yeah. life. Yeah. And that's what we're seeing in our day. And, you know, folks, in the time that the world was was um, 
thinking it was okay to nail God to a tree, they had to be pretty whacked out in their theology. Well, I hate to tell you this, folks, but we're 2,000 years down the road, and our theology doesn't represent very much at all in the world that we're in because we are we, the allowance of killing babies in the womb is now law. The uh, the uh, natural relationships are now law. It's like whatever your theology and doctrine was, it didn't hold water against what we're living in because we're living in a time right now where they're really vanquishing the identity of men and women, vanquishing the identity of children being born. They're really kind of simply destroying us before we even get out the gate. And, and that's, that's why where we are the today. seed the seed of the Messiah, which is us, is is keeping this whole thing from completely imploding. And so we and we have to push back. Hence governance. Yep. And and, the, and, and we have to be cognizant of the laws the statutes and the commandments of the right. kingdom, which shreds a lot of the religious dogma that we've had yes. for 2,000 years. Well, you, do you want to share a little bit? We'll probably have to pick this up again next week, but what uh, you fine. were listening to Mark Levin. and you. Uh, yeah, I was sure. listening to Mark Levin, and he he did a thing. It was I can't remember, folks. you got to bear with me, and I apologize. He was talking about how life evolves. You know, I'm not talking about a man swinging from a tree into the White House. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about if you take a man and a woman, hopefully they like each other, and you put them near some water and near some fertile land, they will produce a family. Based on the needs of the family, they will produce commerce, a village, community. They, will, they become a living organism. They become something that molds and manipulates the land in order to facilitate the need. And in so doing, they produce a village. The village produces a city. The city produces a state. The state produces a country. The country produces a, a whole plethora of stuff. But it's all symbiotic based on the man and the woman and the need. And so what he was showing is that this is like a living organism when you bring the man and the woman together to produce life. Because from that moment on, commerce, industry, technology is all born. And so now you have a living, breathing reality of life that is taking control of the land, manipulating the land, providing food, providing sustenance, so you have community. Amen. That's and the way God set it up. It's always been that way from the beginning. You, you know, you have the, a judiciary, administrative, economic, social order, whatever, in the earliest civilizations. Um, I was, uh, actually this is going in my book too, but I was doing some research and early on in the city-states of Sumer, for example, it was divided up into 12 city-states, which I thought was very interesting. And so <laughs> we jump. Yeah, we jump ahead into the, the tabernacle period in the wilderness. Now, you know, we know there's over a million people. And so the, the, the setup of the, the tabernacle in, in the midst, the, it was the, you know, it was the ground zero is how things operated and cent, centered around it were the 12 tribes 
uh, four, I mean, four sides with three each for 12 because this was about structuring government. And in the midst of that would be God sitting on the throne and his vice regent, if you will, Moses, entering in, receiving, you know, the, the information on how to govern the people. So it's very structured. And it, when I was writing about this, it occurred to me that we have the same pattern. So Yeshua is the fallen sukkah. He's the raised up tabernacle. And he is... He has defeated the governments of this world, and it, doesn't it talk, talk about that in Isaiah? On the, you know, the government will be on his shoulder. I mean, we're government on his shoulder. And how does he surround himself? In the very same way with 12, 12 disciples for the kingdom. They're the ones that would govern the kingdom. They were given that responsibility. And then I realized that, you know, all, you know, the language in, in, um, Revelation, pretty cryptic and stuff, and, and people have been debating the 144,000 till the cows come home. But that's simply a reflection of governance because it's a multiple of 12, you know. And everything related to the temple in the book of Revelation has its root in 12 because we're talking about governing in the kingdom. And this takes a whole different dimension. And so it kind of goes back to what, you know, you've been sharing for the last two weeks, really. Well, it's again, he's establishing order. And so when you look at the disciples, we have a mindset that they're spreading the gospel. No, they're spreading the laws, the commandments, and the structure of the kingdom. Yeah, exactly. And now that you're grafted in, here's your obligation to represent the kingdom. Again, returning to Eden is all about looking at the biblical narrative as a kingdom, not a church or a religious thing. Right. Uh, that's what I think the enemy has used to divide us because, like I wrote earlier on Facebook, you're never going to get two different religious systems like Judaism and Islam to to walk together in harmony. It's not going to happen, okay? You're not going to get the Christians and Buddhism. You're not even going to get the Christians and Mormons to walk together. So, so to me, that whole system is about placating division, whereas the Father said... Let me bring you out into the wilderness, get you out of the madness, establish a building where we're going to govern how. And, and here's the beautiful thing about this in just the last minute or two of the show is that if we implement the laws, the statutes, and the, the commandments of the Father in the kingdom in our own lives, then the beauty of the liberty and the freedom and all the things that he said I was reading earlier all of these things will prosper you, not kill you. And that's yeah. the problem. We have lost the identity of being part of the kingdom of God. We're now part of the religious systems of mankind. And mm -hmm. that's what's killing us. And it's destroying. I mean, you, you could argue, you know, look at the Hebrew Roots movement and the Messianic movement. I mean... I can't see any way for those to ever come together. Let's go before that. Let's look at the churches. Yeah. You know, the churches began to divide when we threw out the foundation of Israel. We ended up with all these denominations. And, and I've said this and I've written about this many times. You go into any neighborhood, you've got the Lutherans on one corner. There's always a great big Catholic thing sitting in some part of the neighborhood. Then you got the Assemblies of God and you got and they're all in the same neighborhood. They don't know each other, they don't talk to each other, and they don't fellowship with one another. Right. That to me is the disharmony of the kingdom of hell. And yeah. as versus the kingdom of Yah. Yeah. 
And we have to take seriously our role in the kingdom. Our, and, and the, I mean, there's so many people don't even know what their role is. So uh, we're kind of out of time here, and we'll, we'll be picking it up next week, but I think we're probably going to talk a little bit more uh, and look at some of those New Testament scriptures. Yes, and Paul, certain, yeah, certainly Paul's some of the ones in Isaiah, uh, you know, yeah. about the kingdom. Yeah. It's not about the church dropping out of the sky. It's right. about the kingdom of Elohim. On earth. On, on earth. <laughs> on earth. The cherubims are going to be removed, and the Lord's going to walk through the gate and say, okay, I'm here. Yeah. It's kind of that way, guys. So yeah. this is Jeff and Dina with Returning to Eden. We'll see you guys next week. And we, oh, by the way, Dina's coming to the Tacoma area uh, September the 16th. She's going to be speaking at El Shaddai for two services. There's information going up on El Shaddai's website. And, of course, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to plaster this everywhere, guys. So, Amen, brother. <laughs> so we'll see you guys next week. All and we'll right. Pick this conversation up. God bless you all. And God bless. Shalom, shalom. Bye-bye. Next week. Shalom. All right.